Okay, so this is going to be a sort of free-willing discussion on um, religion and cinema. Um, because of sort of the inclinations of our members, it may, it may go towards one variation on Christianity that, and may not encompass everything. But this time I'm going to go ahead and introduce our panel. Um, so I'm hoping you guys just uh, share the microphone there because we've got two of them. Our first panelist is uh, West Virginia Filmmaker of the Year nominee a few years ago. Very accomplished documentarian. Um, you may know him from his film Shades of Grey about the, uh, what is his name? Gray Barker. Gray Barker story that they knew about flying saucers and then the um, Harry Powers documentary that came out a couple years ago, Romeo Must Hang. Um, he's currently working on a film about the Hare Krishnas that doesn't have a title yet. Do you have a title? I'm toying with Village of God. Though. Village of, that sounds good. I'd watch that. <laughs> uh, please welcome uh, Mr. Bob Wilkinson. Thank you. Second panelist is a um, Christian filmmaker whose film Seven Deadly Words is screening tonight at another film festival in another state that will remain nameless. Um, he's been involved in all sorts of incredibly fascinating religious projects um, that sort of defy the, the genre in interesting ways. Uh, Mr. Doc Benson. And our last panelist is um, came all the way from Los Angeles. He is the host of the Christian film podcast, More Than One Lesson, and the film podcast, Battleship Retention, which he co-hosts both of those. He has uh, Jake Long, no, Josh Long, and um, David Bax, um, both of those available on the Battleship Retention Network. So uh, please welcome Mr. Tyler Smith. So the, I was told as a kid there are only two things you can't talk about at the dinner table, uh, religion and politics. So we can, in this, I think we can get into both. I'm just going to start with the hardest question I've got, which is, in, ask each one of you, what do you think man's relationship with the universe is? <laughs> and how does that affect the way that you approach film as a medium? I, I almost made Lydia Moyer cry with this question on Thursday, so. So by all means, repeat it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Indeed. So what are you, do we want to go just, which order you guys want to go in? You can start. With okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man, I feel like I'm at a Senate hearing or something. Um, <clears throat> is this mic doing anything? Oh, well, I'll project. Um, Man's relationship to the universe. Well, that's easy. Uh, <laughs> and how it relates to film. I'll, I'll, st I'll zero in on that because that's a little easier for me. Um, I will say uh, I, am a, I am a Christian, and so obviously I believe that there is a God, and I believe that he is a benevolent force and that he loves us to the extent that he was willing to sacrifice his son for us. I didn't expect to lead with that, but here we are. Um, and what I will say is uh, for myself, um, there are a few, uh, there are a number of uh, like verses in the Bible that I think have impacted the way I approach film and the movies that I tend to like, um, and I will read them now. I have notes. Uh, Romans, see, I was able to turn the question, which I wasn't expecting, into the answer that I had prepared for day, days ago. Um, 
Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Most people are familiar with that one. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, uh, that sounds somewhat depressing to some, but to me it's the combination of the two, the idea that people are selfish and that sort of thing, but that they are not irredeemable. And that tends to inform how I approach character specifically in film. Uh, Another way of saying it is uh, quite possibly the best villain in any film ever is Noah Cross, played by John Huston in Chinatown. Uh, And he says, most people never have to face the fact that at the right time and at the right place, they're capable of anything. Now, if you've seen Chinatown, you know that he's using that as a justification for maybe the worst thing you've ever heard. Uh, there are a number of like biblical figures that are viewed as heroes, but they have done horrible things, like David called a man after God's own heart, uh, even though he was a fornicator and essentially a murderer and just did terrible things. Noah was a terrible drunk. Uh, Lot was involved in incest. Uh, Samson was also involved in like fornication with a prostitute and that sort of thing, but th- that didn't stop them from being viewed as heroes. And that fascinates me. And that, for myself, I will try to... I'm a podcaster, so I tend to go on, I'm sorry, uh, because we're not responsible to anybody. Um, uh, But I will say that, just like a a quick list of movies that I love, because they explore the goodness and... and, uh, Sorry, like, the badness, but also the potential goodness of people... like they really emphasize that, and I'll, uh, there's a couple of filmmakers that do it as well that I'll talk about. Um, my favorite film of all time uh, is Robert Altman's Nashville. I feel like that is a film that really you have a character who seems like a really kind-hearted guy throughout, and then he does something unspeakable at the end. You have a guy who seems like an egotist all throughout, and he does something surprisingly heroic at the end. Um, a movie like uh, Christopher Nolan's Insomnia, which struck me as interesting because. Uh, you know, most movies have the hero here and the villain here. Insomnia brings them right about there. Uh, and then just a couple of quick things: Maltese Falcon, a movie came out a couple years ago called, couple years ago called Compliance. Uh, the Dark Knight. I think Joker is a very good villain, mostly because most of us feel like, oh man, this guy's got a point. Uh, Vittorio De Sica's Bicycle Thieves, uh, Twelve Angry Men, Adam McGowan's A Sweet Hereafter, Fritz Lang's M. And John Cassavetes' uh, Faces are just a few movies that I feel like really are informed by my definition of man's relationship to the universe. And, uh, and then also just the general works of John Cassavetes and uh, British filmmaker Mike Lee. So, so that's, my, that's, where, I, that's how, where I approach film from and the effect that it has had on how I approach most films. I, I would add Paul Thomas Anderson to that list. Oh, yeah. Because I was just finished watching like Boogie Nights, and his first three films are essentially movies about how, in modern society, a generation of people don't really have father figures, so God ends up sort of being their babysitter. Hmm. And it just it fascinates me that he went so far the other direction with his last two. Is it's kind of an interesting thing, um, Doc? Um, as a as a Christian filmmaker. Um, in a background that's making films that deal directly with faith. What is your relationship with, the, with faith, and how does it affect the way that you approach filmmaking? 
Well, I, one of the things that my grandmother used to always say was people are dumber than anyone. And there's a lot of truth in that in the sense that we typically in the faith community like to we understand that there is there are there are rights there are wrongs there are, there are truths and there are falsehoods that's what we believe theologically in in the real world most people who we would consider to be bad guys are not mustache twisters they're not the type that are setting out to be bad they just do dumb things or th- wrong things we might morally think or society might disagree with for what they perceive to be the right reasons. Uh, similar to um, uh, the character in uh, Coppola's um, film Tucker, um, where the um, Lloyd Bridges is playing a politician. He thinks he's doing the right thing by helping the big three automakers. He's not trying to be a mustache-twisting bad guy. He just is doing the, what we now perceive to be the wrong thing for what he sees as the right reasons. And I, and I think that, going back to the tying into the whole idea of man and its rela- his relationship to the universe, I think we need to, as filmmakers, especially as faith-based filmmakers like myself, need to recognize that, we can, that there are so many shades of human existence, so many subtle layers of how we approach the people around us and how we approach our relationship with our Creator that we need to recognize that and put that into our, impart that into our characters so that we don't develop these characters that are almost comedic in their extremes. Um, That is one thing that, as a faith-based filmmaker, I am attempting to try to move towards every time I make a production, and I'm attempting to encourage others to do the same, uh, to make uh, our our good guys a little more imperfect and our bad guys a, a, a little more genuine. So, to Bob Wilkinson, your last two documentaries both deal with, like, very flawed people that are in a flawed universe, but both of them sort of then turn in on the group as well. How do you see, since this, this discussion about man's relationship with the universe has sort of turned into a, a sort of a discussion about the nature of man itself, how do you approach the idea of good and bad and how that relates to the universe in your films and how to what are your personal beliefs on that as well um just i just want to set this up with a little context about me and i'm a very impulsive person and i like talking with patrick because it really makes me think about what i've done and why i've done it and and sometimes i don't realize that until well after the fact um but um, no, I think uh, one thing I always seek out in the films are that I've done, and and this is I don't think it's been intentional. I think it's something it says something about me. Is I look for outcasts. Um, all my films I've made are about people that society kind of brushes to the side or, or judges for some reason or other. You know, who knows why? But um, I think that. Th- that's the aspect that I'm looking for. And, and, and as it pertains to relationships of the universe, I think it's like I'm, I'm a seeker, and, and you know, I would say I'm not quite sure what our relationship with the universe is other than you know, we should definitely leave it a better place and, and try to impact others through what we do. And, and, I, and I guess that's kind of what I'm doing with the films a little bit, trying to let the, the viewer look at themselves 
when they watch one of the films and, and think about it. Um, whether it be you know, a film like An Outcast like Gray Barker or it's a film like Romeo Mustang about crowd mentality and, and, and how the herd, you know, as humans we tend to congregate in herds and think like each other and, and run together. And so, I don't know. I think, it, I think there are films about questioning yourself. And that's what I'm looking for in the Hare Krishna film is, is like, to me, here's this unique place who I've been taught one thing about, and I go speak with these people, and it's some of the most intelligent people I've ever met. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, because one of the things that you mentioned to me privately was that you're trying to get to film at the Palace of Gold, mm-hmm. which I don't believe that they've ever let anyone film there before, mostly because, because of their reputation. I mean, you can go back all the way to the movie Airplane to see how the Hare Krishna has been treated in film, and it's Spoiler alert, it's not great. <laughs> um, I, really, faith in general doesn't get well-treated in right. film because... Well, let me ask you this. Why do you, think, why do you think film in general, not necessarily anyone in this room, but why do you think film in general, either made by uh, filmmakers of faith and, um, or movie portrayals of faith in movies that are otherwise... Like even like Night of the Hunter, which is was based on the um, the Harry Powell case that you talked about earlier. They turned the serial killer and that into a into a evangelist, mm-hmm. and, and so that's there's a lot of very interesting, not necessarily mudslinging, but more critical views of people of faith. And why why do you think that is? And how do you approach? The, your representations uh, as a result of that? Um, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself as far as, like, the way I feel. And, and I, I'm uncomfortable in a, in a church setting. I'm uncomfortable around... I'm uncomfortable around things that close off discussion and, I think, and, and, and thought. And I feel like a lot of cases that's the that's the, the means and, and the goal of the goal so so that makes me uncomfortable and I've been I've been I, I did attend church it was probably like 20 years ago and I was asked to leave um, because of communication yeah um, and so that's kind of made me uncomfortable I was really uncomfortable approaching the Hare Krishna thing because you know going in the temple and things I still have that uncomfort that uneasiness about about it when I'm around it, but um, so it's uh, to me it's that it's to me it's oppressive, and so that's where I'm uncomfortable. So that's only thing. I mean, I can't speak to everyone. I don't. Now, Doc, your film deals almost directly with a lot of these concerns right. and the prob- the issues of rigidity in the church, and sort of opening up how we frame church and faith. How have you tried to represent faith in a way that can make a film that's as watchable for someone like Tyler, who's seen a lot of Christian films, and maybe someone like Bob, who's kind of a little less intrigued by the the prospect of church? Well, I think to start off with an answer to your question, I think Bob has is, 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 is hit on something that is is very accurate in the sense that some of the greatest uh, causes of the rejection or the mischaracterization of people of faith in film 
is brought on by our own actions. We ourselves, as a people of faith, will often become caricatures of what we believe to an extreme. We will act immaturely. We will uh, act without thought. We will say things before having all the evidence. Um, One example is the new Noah movie, for instance. Uh, the, a great portion of the Christian community was uh, lambasting that movie before even the uh, previews were available to the reviewers. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that that jumping early on the ship in a negative way adds to our lack of credibility and, and portrays us in the eyes of other filmmakers uh, as uh, being extremists, as being narrow-minded, as being any of these things. And Uh, Of course, it's not just in in the public eye. It's also in the small church where maybe you encountered that. Um, Our movie is called Seven Deadly Words, and the seven deadly words are we've never done it that way before. It's a movie about overcoming change, and and that's probably uh, a big part of the problem as well. We we get into ruts in our faith communities, uh, whether it be theological ruts or, uh, or ruts in the way we practice our faith or even ruts in the way our society exists. Uh, and suddenly we open the windows and throw open the doors and realize the world around us has changed, but we have not changed with it. Now, I'm not saying that our theology should change. It's the way we interact with our culture that changes. And because we have stayed behind, we have attempted to try to convince everybody else that they need to be like our 1940s version of faith, uh, rather than recognizing that in a post-Christian American society, and I use that term blatantly, uh, that they have no frame of reference to what we're talking about, and we appear even more the outcast and outsider because of it. So I think it's our, our, um, our, 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 our retrenching into ourselves and, our, and our, our almost characterization of ourselves and our faith that distances us from people who make other films secularly. And because of that, they have no frame of reference except for what they read in the news when some crazy idiot does something and they claim to be from this church or that church. And so that's the only thing they know about real faith. That's what they put into their films. And this is it. Yeah. I just want to bring up some, I think this pertains to what we're talking about, but um, I shot a film, Adopted Jesus, where I met a young gentleman and he was living out what he believed to be his expression of what Jesus taught in the Bible. And um, he sold all of his belongings, got rid of his things, lived on the streets homeless for a year. I, we we took a school bus, converted it to run on used cooking oil, and we drove from West Virginia to Houston, Texas. We picked up every hitchhiker, we hung out with homeless, and got to know them. You know, personal personal stories and getting to know people. And um, we no money involved at all. We ate out of dumpsters, all that. Didn't use any kind of means to support the trip, and brought it back and premiered it and was actually protested by you know some of the churches mm. and which is a shame because it's like and and I think I I, I don't know I mean it's a it's, I felt it was a very Christian film to make and and it was it was interesting the reaction we got out of it did they give a, a specific reason no uh, I, no just... I, I, to be honest with you I think the 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 almost the anti-capitalist slant mm. was what did it because you know that's really right. tight knit. Well, I think that there's people that have confused Christianity in the church. I think people have confused Christianity with Fox News, and uh, 
you know, they, they assume that anything that you believe, if you practice like what you're doing, something that would be not considered, it would be considered out of the norm of a um, capitalist or, you know, a society, um, then obviously you're, you're liberal, you're evil, you're wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they, and they reject you for that because we have, we have equated somehow in mainstream uh, evangelicalism that uh, Christianity equals uh, republicanism or rightism and uh, anything else is uh, the opposite thereof. So they, they uh, was it Kierkegaard who said, if you label me, you negate me. The idea is that they want to put a label on you and that way they can box you into one corner or another. It, it goes to something, um, I've said it like over and over in my, in my podcast because it was something I, I thought about a number of years ago and it's that extremes are easy. It doesn't seem like it. The nature of something being extreme is it's hard to pull off. But... It's literally, okay, as, ha- as hard as it might be, philosophically, it's easy. Nuance is remarkably difficult. It's hard to walk a, a tightrope. And so, like you mentioned, putting people in a box and just like, all right, liberal, got it. Atheist, got it. Christian, got it. Now that I know, and I know that this, this is always bad, this is always good, I got it. We're good. But, of course, that is not at all the nature of, and I'm sorry that we're, we tend to be talking sp- primarily about Christianity, but I think it could probably apply to almost any, uh, almost any religion. But uh, anytime somebody starts to question, and I think, I think that's probably what it was, is you, and you're not even really questioning, you know, based on, on your description, you're not even saying, hmm, I wonder if Jesus would do this or anything. Like, it's just, hey, here's this, we're, we're living out this thing. And I think even if you're not asking questions then, I think people are like, this is going to lead to questions. And that might challenge my, my, understanding that I, my understanding of things and people that I arrived at years ago. And I've been operating pretty well under that. And the minute I start questioning that and start trying to approach other people, whether they're similar or different than me, in a nuanced way, ugh, like... There's an inherent tension in nuance, and who wants to live with tension? I'd rather just not deal with anybody that's not like me. Isn't that easier? And, and there is a very specific type of, for lack of a better term, comfort uh, in the modern Christian church, and it and certainly extends to the, uh, the type of art, whether it be film or literature or whatever, that they engage in. They don't... I don't want to paint with a broad brush. I, you know, a good number of Christians don't want to be challenged by this thing and then they will justify it by saying I don't want to let in anything that might you know do some damage and that's not necessarily the worst uh, concern but I think they use that as a blanket to literally not watch anything or engage with anything that could ever make them feel uncomfortable but I think I think just it doesn't matter Christian Hindu, any religious perspective, humanity in general, I believe, tries to avoid cognitive dissidence. We try to avoid those things that will challenge our pre-existing norms because they make us uncomfortable and force us to either reject something that we have held dear in some way, shape, or form and move forward in a new element of truth, or we're going to have to reject this new information and retrench. And that's the conflict that you might have put them in. When I'm teaching, um, I teach a, a multifaceted course on the history of the universe at another university called Origins. And the first thing that we do in that class, I make sure, is I go through Pierce's, the, the philosopher Pierce's delineation of the, the forces of 
the way that we know truth. And they're very, very distinct ways. There are tenacity, which are the things that you, we believe just because we believe them, and no one's going to convince us otherwise. There are the things that we know because they're just logical. We can logically think, and they match the logic of the moment. There are the things that we know through authority, like because it is part of the faith that we believe, and then there's science, which is just what we can see. If you think about it, science and um, authority use two completely different parts of weighing, knowing truth. If you believe something enough, the fact that it's like contradicted by science shouldn't necessarily factor it because it's your responsibility to believe. It's not science's responsibility to, to make what you believe feel like it's true. It's your responsibility. And, and that's, a, that's a challenge that I keep bringing up every time they're like, I had a student ask me, well, if, you, if we don't have science to teach our morals, where do we get our morals from? And that's kind of a, a terrifying moment when you think about that, when you think that our belief sets, it's such a delicate balance that we have anything that can, um, can push us the other way. Bob, I keep wanting to come back to Romeo Mustang because that film is so much about people not wanting to believe the, uh, the nature of man and have being forced with a piece of cognitive dissonance of a, of a monster inside of a sweet man. And how and the same thing with something like the, it's even in Shades of Grey where there's, there's a, no, this, this can't be the guy sort of situation. How do you approach the way that society deals with individuals and the way that society deals with that in the context of what they believe to be reality? Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 be I believe what I attempt to do in the films is kind of establish this universe, which we believe, and then kind of pull the rug out from under that and make the audience I, I, what, I, what I tried to do in, in each of those films is when you watch them, I think there's a moment in the film where you begin to question yourself. And it turns the, the lens on you, basically. And, and so with Barker, he was, uh, you know, I, I don't know, people probably aren't familiar with him. A UFO writer created the idea of the men in black wrote a, a saucer publication and which in itself the world of saucer is a religion and I've met a lot of the devotees if you want to call them that and it's definitely it's an own constructed religion and there are solid beliefs within that religion that you don't mess with like any religion there's, there's pillars um, and so Barker catered to this crowd and he was a hoaxer he made it all up and uh, he was a gay man living in Clarksburg, West Virginia in the 1950s. And I think in some way he would rather become the UFO guy. And, and, and so, it's, so here it is. You build, you, and, and it was interesting because some of the followers didn't realize this stuff. And when you pull that rug out from under them when I'm interviewing them, I mean, it was like, there's no, you're wrong. I was around him a lot, and you're, and it, it's just so, it's like, it's, it's interesting the, the, the turmoil that you can create. And, and it's not necessarily turmoil. All I want to do is like, is say, 
this is an individual whose ex- his experiences are different, and it's okay. It's kind of what I want to do. I'm, I'm trying to open that up a little bit in the films, I believe. And that's why I look for the... It's funny because I use the song Wayfaring Stranger yeah. in like three of my films, and it works. It's like I keep going back. I've used it before, but no, that's what these films are about. It's about the Wayfaring Stranger, and, and that's what I can... So. I hope I answered that. Oh, that's, I that's, a, a, that's a really good answer. I, good answer. And, and seek out those movies, by the way. Those are, those are spectacular movies. Uh, talking is sort of about that idea of something other than the belief itself, the object becoming the religion of itself. One thing that it's inevitable with like any faith is somehow anything with religion, you even see this with AA, is that sometimes the AA meetings become about what type of what type of donut we're going to have. We always have had this type of donut. And I imagine that there are probably large wars going on within AA meetings all over the country because someone switched from Dunkin' to um, a different brand. So this, this is never more true than in faith because like we, we talked about that fragile idea of what we believe is when, when we're in a position of, of doubt, we go back to the ritual as the source to sort of bring us back to the thing there. We go back to the songs of faith, the, the, old, the, the old time religion, to quote one of my favorite movies, Inherit the Wind. The, this is a movie that's sort of, from what I can gather, challenging that. Right. How do you, how do you make that palatable for people that are maybe reconsidering coming back to the church? And also carry this message to people that really, really like the way that they do things. <clears throat> All right. Um, the first, the first thing that a film like, like ours, uh, and and really any faith-based film really needs to to do, what, no matter what the faith perspective is, is you have to establish the the reality of the characters. Um, our film does not hold up uh, the characters in our uh, the, the various characters as the perfect example of faith, because if anybody's going to make a choice to come to a faith perspective, to come to it, whether it be a denominational perspective within uh, the Christian faith or whether it be another faith perspective, they should make that choice based on the merits of that faith, not on the behavior of the people who claim to practice that faith. And too often, that's also part of what we were talking about as a problem. And so we need to break down that barrier. The lessons that are, that are, are being taught in a film like mine and in other films that, that, that tackle this issue are twofold. One, at the same time, we're trying to remind people of faith within the church or whatever community, you know, faith community that not to fall back to these traditions, not to rely on them. I'm not saying tradition is bad inherently. I come from a faith perspective from the Celtic faith, uh, Celtic Christian faith, which of course has a, a, a several thousand year old <laughs> traditional perspective. Um, but, but so in, inherently tradition is not wrong. It's when you rely on that as the only true example and, and form of perfection of your faith that you are, are misdirected and misled. And at the same time, Preventing others from seeing what you love and value about your relationship with uh, with God, 
And so a movie like Seven Deadly Words or, or any faith-based film should, should be an, an equitable lesson both to people within that faith community of the need to correct certain things within themselves as well as an expression to people outside that faith community that, hey, we're normal people. We are as imperfect as anybody else. We make mistakes. Uh, we are just working hard based in the faith that we believe to improve each day. And, uh, and, and, and hopefully they will see that and say, you know what, I, I, I can empathize with that. I can sympathize with that. Some of the best um, praise that we received for our film are from people outside of the faith community. We've, had, we've won a number of awards from, from what would be considered mainstream or secular film festivals, uh, individuals, uh, atheists, uh, politicians. I, I guess I digress. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> No, but but they they will they will say you know to us you know I've been there I've seen that I've been in this conflict I've been in that meeting it may, they may never step foot in a church in their entire life but we can all recognize a character we can all recognize something in the characters in a film and say I know that I've been that maybe I've been that maybe I've seen that and it's when you make that connection with a viewer in any film when you make that connection with a viewer that's the moment they're drawn into your world. Tyler, you um, you had mentioned before that you have quite a lot of, of Christian listeners in because you have the podcast where you take Christian approaches to mostly secular films, but occasionally you'll do a, a religious film as well. Yeah. Um, what is the response usually to your your episodes among people of faith? And uh, also, I'm very curious to see how. Do you have a lot of listeners that are not of faith that listen to your show? And how is their reaction to the show? And uh, is it necessary to cater to both? Uh, let's see. So, yeah, the, uh, for, my, for my Christian show, which has uh, really not that many listeners, strictly speaking, especially considering how long I've been doing it, because as it turns out... Uh, the cross section of like Christians and big film fans is not a big one, as it turns out. Um, but I do have a, a, a surprising number of non-Christian listeners. Uh, I would say the split seems to be about sixty-five thirty-five uh, of Christian to non-Christian, um, and that thirty-five is surprising to me. Um, and from time to time, <laughs> the response is interesting. Um, because uh, there are pl- there are plenty of, of uh, you know non Christian listeners that have been very encouraging, very supportive, and they say I like hearing another perspective on this, um, and that's and that's great to hear. Then there are others who just say, oh, I really it's like I like what you have to say about film, but like oh, it's just so preachy. It's like it's in the Christian category of iTunes, and if you like my movie thing, I've got a whole other. I've got a whole other podcast that's devoted to movies, and I don't bring in the Christianity very much at all, except you know it, when it occasionally relates to me. And um, uh, and every once in a while, we've we've had uh, we've had uh, a non-Christian listener that really seems to take issue with uh, uh, an outlook. Uh, for example, we did an episode about the Dark Knight, exploring the the philosophy of the Joker. Um, and not to necessarily get into it right now, but you know his whole it, his a lot of his philosophy is based in like 
kind of a I never know how you say how you say it like Nietzscheism um, and this and a certain degree of nihilism, which is like, well, if there is nothing that governs our, if there's literally nothing that governs our emotions and our morals, then what do we? Then we divert to politicians, we divert to the law. But really, if the law is just set up by just other people, then what makes you what what gives you authority over me aside from the fact that people voted for you? All I have to do is say you're not legitimate in my eyes, and I can do whatever whatever I want. That caused a bit of a stir with uh, non-Christian listeners, uh, and thankfully, for the most part, good conversations have come up. Every once in a while, you'll run, you'll, you run across somebody who decides that in, they want to use the comments section to write a rebuttal blog, and uh, I never agreed to bring them on as bloggers, and so, and, and they're just, it sounds terrible, but they're just sort of causing trouble. Questions I can deal with, but this was meant to be for a Christian audience, and so if you have somebody coming in questioning the intelligence, maybe not even, maybe just openly mocking. Um, it gets a little off-putting, and I've had to, like, send emails and say, hey, I'm fine with you listening. It sounds, I don't know why, based on what you're saying, why you listen, but I'm fine with it. Uh, and so, um, so that, but by and large, it has been a very positive interaction with non-Christian listeners. And with my, with my Christian listeners, that has gone, that, that's gone pretty well uh, as well. Every once in a while, especially because around October we tend to cover horror movies, um, because I think um, not merely Christians, but I think people in general have a certain uh, idea of what horror movies are. Um, I know I myself, when I was younger, used to just dismiss the entire genre. Uh, but there's, you know, we can learn tremendous things in horror, and they, some of them can be just some of the best movies you've ever seen. Um, but in the Christian audience, you know, you'll hear you'll start to hear words like demonic uh, and influence and stuff like that. And, and you will often put them together, demonic influence. And, um, and so uh, people that, uh, that previously are like totally on board with the show uh, will say, this movie should not be seen. This is like, this movie really disturbed. And this actually, this will go a little bit into what uh, Doc was talking about. Like, it's like, oh, this movie really disturbed my spirit, and so I feel like this is not a thing people should be watching. It's like, I don't. It's like if you don't want to watch it, I'm fine with that. It's understandable. There are movies that make me uncomfortable that I don't watch. Um, I tend not to shy away from stuff that makes me uncomfortable, uncomfortable spiritually, but emotionally there are things that I just that kind of get to me. Um, but like, if you don't want to watch that, that's fine. If it disturbed your spirit, I'm not going to argue with that. But now you're saying that everybody should do that, and you're and you're shaming other people. And it goes back to what Doc was talking about, is we latch onto these, these little things that have nothing to do with the overall belief system. We latch onto them and act as though, and because that's more tangible. I mean, I hate to say it, as a Christian, God is not a tangible thing. I don't see him. Uh, I don't audibly hear him. And so, what, but what can I do? I can lock onto this little thing that I can see and I can hear or, you know, or, not, or purposely not see, but I know it's there. Um, and so, like, uh, so I feel like people latch on to these things, and I, I've run across it from time to time with, uh, with my Christian audience. And even then, it's a very small minority, but it surprises me sometimes when that happens. Well, they, they're, they're essentially raising personal preference to moral, to moral righteousness. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, in, in, in any faith, there are certain tenets that are non-negotiable. But those are rarely the things that people argue about. Yeah. 
usually they argue about the things that that will divide denominations into new denominations. There's a line in, in Seven Deadly Words where one of the characters looks and he goes, you know, the Holy Spirit in me will never disagree with the Holy Spirit in you. Therefore, spiritually, you must be wrong. And that's essentially, you know, it's a, it's a personal preference that they have turned into an um, yeah. you know, uncomfortableness, as you were saying, that they've turned into a, a, a reason to create division. And, you know, uh, you made a reference to Inherit the Wind. Yeah, yeah. And that song, Give Me, the, give me That Old Time Religion. What's the next lyric? It's good enough for me. It's good enough for me. And that's the thing, is a lot of people... I remember a pastor of mine in uh, southern Missouri, of all places. You don't expect this kind of discussion to happen in southern Missouri. But he said, a lot of, a lot of Christians... And this could probably happen with anybody who comes to a faith. They will look at the conditions that cause them to come to faith. And then they feel like, well, that should... Whether they voice it or not, their, their attitude says, well, that should be good enough for other people. It's good enough for me. Why isn't it good enough for you? Are you judging me? Are you saying that I'm too easily, you know, whatever. And, um, and I feel like it's, there's just such a, and we all do it, obviously, but like, there's such a temptation to imprint yourself on your faith when in fact it should be the exact opposite. Um, but yeah, that it's good enough for me, which I, I appreciate the, the, uh, the meaning behind that song, but of course, it's remarkably it's used. It's it's loaded in in that film, uh, and I feel like that attitude is championed. But if you if you just twist it the wrong way a little bit, it can be remarkably damaging. And in the context of a, a lot of this, one of the things that we also have to accept is if we're going to to say that it's okay to vary from the cliche of what being a born again Christian is. We also have to acknowledge that it's okay if there are the films that exist that are just reinforcing that to a certain extent. If, if it's just meant for that audience. That being said, does, that doesn't necessarily always make great art when you're only aiming at a specific person because you're only able to um, say one idea because it's the idea that everyone's agreed on before, they, before the film was made and before it was screened. Everyone involved from the audience to the person decided, this is the thing that we all believe, right? We're not going to go away from this, if, um, even if it'd be more, making a more interesting story. Yeah, great art has never come from telling the audience they're completely right all the time, I think. That's kind of pandering. No, but that's a good marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm never told that I'm right all the time in my marriage. No, I, I'm done. And I, I, I know that I'm, I'm pretty sure that neither is Tyler. And everyone on this panel is married, right? So that's one of those things where the, the biggest one, I think one of the most successful of the Christian films is, is um, Fireproof, which is pretty much all about marriage. You mean financially? Yeah, financially. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an important distinction yes. because when you make a film that is genre-specific, like faith-based films, yeah. you, you, you have to understand that you, you, don't, you can sacrifice an element of art because you have a pre-existing market. And therefore, you can make a lower-budget film because you already have a captive market to buy it. So you can have a film that's uh, God's Not Dead mm-hmm. is out in theaters right now. $8.5 million as of this weekend at the box office. Because it has a captive audience, you know who's going to see it, you know who's going to, to, to watch that film. So it's financially successful. It may not necessarily rattle and shake the world of plot and story, but it is a successful film nonetheless, financially. I like your use of the word captive, especially. 
because a captive is somebody who has no choice, in, quite literally has no choice, to leave their circumstances. And when it comes to a situation like this, uh, there are a lot of Christian audiences that feel as though they have no choice but to see this film because it tells them uh, that what they're doing is right, and so few movies do that. And not, so they feel like they have to do it. Not unlike the main character in the, um, the previously Academy Award-nominated film, Alone Yet Not Alone, um, in theaters next month, I believe. Hmm. And, and that's one, it sort of ties both of these ideas together of the self-selecting audience. One of the things that we're seeing sort of the early stages of right now is the crowdsourcing of audience through sources like Tug, and I forget what the other one is, that you can basically canvas people that will agree to come to a movie theater and the movie theater will screen your movie if you can get X number of people to. For a Christian film, this is kind of a game changer because it's always been a niche that's dependent on the self-selecting audience anyway that's going to come the same way that every time Tyler Perry comes to town, you know, you're going to see a, a different subsection come out or, um, or what happens on the... Um, the LGBT, the gay and lesbian movies um, bar on Netflix is that there are people that are just going to watch that because that's a subgenre. With the likelihood of the nicheification of art happening even more, it feels like it's going to be more likely that we're just going to see even more nicheified Christian films. That there may be a religious left version of Christian films, there might be a religious right. You may you may start seeing Catholic films that are just aimed at just different denominations. In that reality, Doc, how do we make movies that recognize the spectrum of that? And, and maybe it ends up not being by Christians. Maybe it takes someone like um, someone on the outside, like Bob here, who are making movies that speak to like more of a. <laughs> you're, hey, you like you're, outsiders. Right? Get there? <laughs> you're alone yet not alone. In the middle. Uh, it, we were just speaking about this just before we, we came on, and that's the idea that one of the things that that allows Hollywood films to have to to up the level of, of the artistic merits of a film to to increase the quality of the productions or what would be considered collaborative efforts. Right now in faith-based film we have the Lone Ranger production model. The idea is there's one person and they're the writer, the producer, the director, the chief cook, the bottle wash, the powder monkey and whatever you want to call it, they do it all. And they wrote the story and no one can mess with their vision. You know, And that works great when you're doing a documentary or a low crew. But when you're trying to make a, a feature film, uh, you miss out on not having others as part of that collaboration with their talents being able to come in. Everybody in faith-based film thinks they can direct. Everybody thinks that not everybody can direct. Uh, you've seen examples of that. I think everybody thinks they can everybody, Yeah, it's true. Everybody. I tried it once. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and perhaps one way, there are always going to be niche films. There always are going to be niche films. And that's okay. And there's a need for that. People enjoy seeing something that they can readily believe in and not necessarily have to think about. Mm -hmm. um, but if you want to, something that's going to go across denominational spectrums or, or, or across faith perspectives in some way or shape or form, uh, in a realistic and, and a, um, an uplifting and artistic manner, you need to collaborate. You need to bring a good quality director from here. Maybe he's a, a, a Lutheran director and an orthodox uh, DP and uh, whatever you bring these quality talented people together to make a project what is that going to force you to do you're going to have to have a bigger budget 
If you have a bigger budget, you're going to have to have other investors. To have other investors, you're going to have to have a story that's worth somebody investing in. Suddenly, the entire production value increases as you collaborate together. That's what happened in film in general in the teens in, in America when, we, when, when they moved away from the D.W. Griffith model of one person making a movie to more of a, a collaborative. And we're starting to go back to the, the old place where it seems like film in society is starting to take up the same cultural space as community theater did maybe 20 years ago. And That's an interesting way to look at it. Where it's like, hey, look, we're putting on a show. Hey, look, we put on this show for you. Isn't it great? Instead of, like, artistically ambitious. Bob, Bob made an aside there where he talked about how his model is basically a one-man show. And in a way it is. But within his, like, very, very small production company, from the films... Yeah, just you and Steve, oh, Steve good, Schmidt, yeah. and your producers, mm-hmm. uh, the Tunnels. The money. It's a, yeah, the money. <laughs> Even within this small, very much one-person-driven project, it's a very collaborative process. And that one of the things that, like, I feel like this is even more general than just with faith. There's been such a falling in love with the auteur theory, and Christian filmmakers have just discovered that now, that they think just because I've seen a film, I know what my voice is of a film is, and that's how we we end up with a bunch of like Kevin Smith ripoffs or um or something or some of the stuff out there now that's clearly derivative from a very specific aesthetic. And yet, this almost parallels what's ha- one of the things that's happened in faith is that in Protestant faith, the foregrounding of the personal relationship with Christ has sort of overshadowed our corporate relationship as a whole. And so we've now all become individual arbiters of God's will. How is it possible then to create a piece of art that resonates with all people of faith in a world where we are just showing our faith? Is it more important to show our version of faith or is it more important to to show the truth, a universal truth? You're never going to please everyone. I mean, I think our. Yeah. I mean, I see even my weird PBS documentary style as art. So, yeah. so I mean, it's definitely. I mean, it's. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say this is my vision because I yeah. shot it, I interviewed the people, I edited it, and then I put it out. Oh, there. absolutely. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that you. You're ever going. I mean, if I could figure out the model to be universal, I think I could get backers. That would be awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, the, people would fund my film in droves, but yeah, but they would be backing something that, that I, in my opinion, is, isn't worth anything. But like, it does work. To, Fast, oh, it and the, Fast and the Furious. That's oh, yeah. universal. That's yeah. Yeah, it works. Actually, I think it's Sony, but I, I get what. You're <laughs> but sometimes our effort. Sometimes you can go when you're when you're, what we're saying here is is in your quest to become universal and appeal, you go to the lowest common denominator. My. Uh, my friend and I have a like a weekly conversation at Denny's. It's pretty great. Uh, the conversation. And, hmm? The conversation. Conversation's fine, but those pancake puppies just can't be argued with. <laughs> um, and so, and we, we like to throw out these little uh, hypotheticals. Maybe we can get some money for the film festival next <laughs> next year. Um, we like to have these hypothetical conversations, and he threw something out there that man, it fascinated me, and it is the kind of question. I think 
Christian filmmakers, but anybody who makes a film with a message um, should ask themselves, which is, if I could make a movie that was great and was everything that I, that I as, a, as an artist, wanted it to be, but it only like reached, as far as like the message, it only reached like 100,000 people. Or could I, it's like, maybe I compromise a little bit, maybe I dumb things down a little bit, maybe I make it a little bit more obvious what I'm trying to do, and the message reaches a million people. Which one would you do? Especially if you're trying to make movies with a message, which one would you do? Now, I, not being a filmmaker, I have the freedom to speak entirely on, in ideals. And so I can say, I would prefer the 100,000 because from a, Christian's, from a Christian standpoint, we're called to just do the best we can do and never compromise and then let God do the rest. Um, but of course, financially, a million is better than, than 100,000. And, so, and then of course, so that's financially. And then with your message, if you're only making a movie as a means to deliver the message, why wouldn't you want to reach more people? And it's like, and all I have to do is compromise my artistic vision? I don't even know what that means. Done. And so, like, so that is a choice being made by not merely Christian filmmakers, but anybody. I mean, you watch any, you watch any movie, not any movie, but you watch most movies made uh, sort of in response to, like, the George W. Bush presidency. A lot of them were pretty bad. Honestly, like even from good filmmakers, Lion, Lions for Lambs is horrible. Silver City. Silver City. Oh, man. And yeah, and that's got a good cast, too. Uh, uh, Danny Houston, Chris Cooper. Thor like, Birch. And just uh, rendition is not very good. And then you, like, every once in a while you get like a Hurt Locker. And then Stop Loss isn't terrible. But well, like, it's. The great thing about Hurt Locker is it's doing like what we talked about on Thursday w- w- with the Liddy Moyer thing. It's giving you pieces of the story. And asking you to make your own conclusions. Exactly. Like, United 93 does really well because here, here's the facts, enjoy. Well, you're not going to enjoy it, but here are the facts, Do, make of them what you will. And so anytime somebody, it could be political, it could be philosophical, it could be spiritual, anybody, any, anytime someone's like, I have this message I need to get out and I'll do it this way and I don't care if the characters are developed. I don't care if it's shot well. I just need to get my message out. It's like, well, then just become a preacher. There you go. That's there, you get to a point where if you just want to say what you're going to say, I mean, you can do you can blog. You, there there are means to to get your message out there. And I'm you gl- can start I'm, a podcast. Everybody does. <laughs> I'm glad you said compromise artistic vision because you can compromise artistic vision without compromising your beliefs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anytime anyone does a faith based film from a Christian perspective, how they end a prayer is a distinction that could separate you from other denominations. (laughs) If you show a church service that's on a Saturday versus a Sunday versus a whatever, you're separating yourself from some denomination. So those are compromises that you might make and not, you know, you might back off when, you know, how how they end a particular prayer or otherwise. That's not a compromise that challenges your faith. That's Mm -hmm. a compromise that increases the broad perspective of your audience. You know, if you you end a prayer by saying in Christ's name versus in Jesus' name versus in Yahshua's name or whatever your denominational preference is. So rather than narrowing that, that's an artistic compromise that doesn't actually compromise belief structure. So we'll we'll do one more question and then we'll open it up to the audience. This has been great so far. What is your hope for, for how faith is going to be represented in film in the next 20 years? Because we see a lot of the changes with technology. 
the distribution methods are changing. The, um, the means to make them are changing. What would you like to see happen? And what are you afraid is going to happen? Well, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I really have an answer for that. I mean. Well, what would you like to see happen with your film in the, in the portrayal of it? And what would you like to see? I mean, I would hope that people, people could watch it. Um, I'm so terrible at like marketing, social media, distribution, and that kind of stuff. I kind of make a film and forget about it. Um, <laughs> I'm really bad. I don't make money at this at all. Um, my wife's in real estate, so thank God. Um, no, I'm terrible at it. I give my films away. I actually brought some to give away today, and and that's just. I just like people to watch it, I guess. And you know, if you, it's the little moments that that I appreciate. Uh, the, uh, a film about John Brown. Some folks from Kentucky called and they emailed me and said, "We saw your film and it made an impact, and we wanted to go to Harper's Ferry to see the story of John Brown." And 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 we discovered Stora College and we discovered these things about civil rights. So it's that the, the, these little impacts that I enjoy the most. Doc, what, what do you want to see happen in faith in filmmaking? I would like to see uh, the production values go up. I'd like to see budgets go up. I'd like to see it so that when you have a film coming out uh, to the theater, uh, people are talking, a faith-based film, people are talking about it because of its story, not because it's a faith-based film. Unfortunately, until we get to, to we're the point where uh, churches recognize that uh, and, and individual believers recognize that investing in faith-based film is a, a legitimate investment, we will probably continue to see low-budget, exploitation style film. I like that phrase. You, that you nailed it on the head with that phrase, exploitation. Uh, Tyler, what do you want to see come through your doors, and what do you want to see arrive in your in your PO box for the for your podcast. Uh, yeah, well, I want to see. The easy answer is subtlety, but I want people to just te- to be interested in telling a story and go where that story require and be willing to go where that story story requires them to go. Um, so, for example, if if a Christian filmmaker decided he wanted to tell the story of somebody's personal faith, well. If, you, if you've ever been a person of faith, there will be moments of doubt. There will be moments of weakness. You're going to make terrible mistakes. T- sometimes you're going to be kind of a bastard to people uh, and, and not realize until years later. Uh, I want to see that. I want to see The Apostle, written, directed, and starring, produced and starring Robert Duvall. So glad um, you brought that film on. Uh, probably my favorite performance of his. Um, you know that is, that is not a good guy, but he does amazing things, and he and he has a faith, but that faith does not keep him from doing terrible things because he's a flawed person, and he's willing to go where that character goes. Um, there's a I printed out some quotes. I will say only one of them. It's by Francis Schaeffer, who who uh, would write a lot about uh, art and the relationship to faith, and he says when a Christian portrays in his art, sorry what a Christian portrays in his art is the totality of life. Art is not to be solely a vehicle for some sort of self-conscious evangelism. And the totality of life, like being willing to show things that might actually paint Christians in a negative light. Like 
being willing to do that. There's something that I'm, I'm fascinated with, which is if you look at like Jesus' parables, some of them there's a clear, like you can see the allegory. Some of them you can't. Some of them are actually pretty hard to figure out, and people debate what it, what it could mean. It could mean that, it could mean that. So, he's tell, so he told a story and then didn't make clear what he was trying to say. How horrifying, you know? And so, like, and if Jesus and if Jesus could do it and have faith in this is the best possible way to make my point, even if I'm not directly making the point, if he's doing that, then I would like to see Christian filmmakers. First off, part of me feels like I wouldn't. I don't necessarily like the designation of like, oh, this is a Christian film because it, these days there's a connotation to it. But maybe maybe there won't be in the future. But I want them to embrace that, embrace subtlety, embrace nuance. And go and basically let the art lead them. Let me just jump in real quick with what you're saying here. I, when you talk about parables, I think what you're saying, and I would agree with you, is when Christ would give a parable, he, would, he didn't say the kingdom of God is. Mm-hmm. He said the kingdom of God is like, and then he would tell a story. Yeah. Too many faith-based films are the kingdom of God is. Yeah. And, and what we need Evidence are stories real. that are the kingdom of God is like. And a, and a great story comes out of it that tells us a wonderful truth. And I will say, having not seen any films by uh, our friend Bob here, it sounds like that's what you are doing. Not yeah, that you, I'm... not that you are necessarily a Christian filmmaker, but like, it's you are. And the fact that you're making documentaries implies you're more than willing to go where the subject is going to go. And I feel like if other, it's interesting. I don't know. Have there, have there ever been any Christian documentaries? Uh, I've, I just got. They've got, there's got to be, um, well, uh, what is it? I mean, there have been ones that profile Christians. Um, our friend B.J. Gudmundson did a film that's very much faith-based around um, a uh, an evangelical, very conservative Christian church that's minister one day realized, began to realize that he, that he just suddenly believed that the destruction of mountains by coal companies were evil, and it, it caused the entire church to reevaluate their relationship with coal, and they ended up becoming sort of anti-mountaintop removal activists. And so that sounds great. Yeah, it's it still it still leads with the message, but it does it in an interesting, very visually. It's yeah. uh, it, I, I, we call her. I like to call it her, leads with a message, yeah. but it leads with the subject's message. Yeah, she's like yeah, she's good. like a benevolent Lenny Riefenstahl. That's <laughs> how the best way I would describe BJ is. She's like a benevolent Lenny Riefenstahl. So they these do exist, but it's e- like a nice hit. <laughs> yeah, right, the kind of right. hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. hey, all my days hanging at Beardish yeah. Garden. I, yeah, I, like <laughs> you just say it's, he's not like Lenny Riefenstahl. But I'm sorry, go on. You know, that's what I dislike about most movies about Hitler is that there's no nuance. <laughs> All they're focusing on is, you know, he killed a bunch of, you know, well. They don't focus on the art. They don't. Exactly. They don't, Max, they don't focus on. Max. It's not. Oh, no. yeah, that would. <laughs> sorry, anyway. I, guess that conversation, I think that conversation was just for us. Sorry, everybody. No, that conversation has 20 subscribers. As a I have a podcast named That Conversation. Let's open it up. Let's open up the audience here. Let's. Um, I've got my microphone here. Anyone that wants to come ask questions um, can um, do that. Or if you just want to yell them here, I can repeat the question. Any? What questions do I, I see? I see a lot of inquisitive eyes here. Glaze <laughs> it over. Yes, over there in the corner. Um, I guess my question is, is, is pretty much between everybody here, you've talked about you 
what it would take to, to make faith-based films something that the larger audiences can, can get behind. And, and I wonder if it's not really just partially, and it's not any one thing, but if it isn't partially the fact that, that, like you were saying, a lot of films that are niche films are almost mouthpieces for uh, uh, another phrase. Like you said, this is what it is. And what's interesting about filmmaking is it is a collaborative effort, but it also takes that, that guiding voice, that, that individual vision, that pushes it through, like what you were talking about with your documentaries, you know? And I think that one of the big problems right now is that people with the visions that do the great Christopher Nolan's, all these other, you know, the, the, the big famous, the, the ones that everybody gets behind, if people do that and then come out and go, yeah, I, I, am, I am religious, and there is, you know, a religious undertone to this, there is my faith in this work, I think we start to turn around and get more of, of what you were talking about in the higher production values and people actually collaborating together the way that, that you, you're supposed to because that's what makes film good. That's why I love doing film because it is a collaborative effort because it's not just me. It's me and, and this person's bringing their craft and this person's bringing their craft and this person's bringing their craft. You know, you paint a picture, it's you and a canvas. You write a book, it's you and a, and a typewriter or a computer or whatever. To make a film, have to have other people, and you have to have their input. And technically you don't, but if you want to make a great film, if you want to make a film yeah. that reaches anybody or anything, it needs to be collaborative. But it also needs to have that voice. You know, and Psycho is the perfect example. Alfred Hitchcock makes it, it looks one way, Gus Van Zandt makes it shot for shot. And it's not the same thing. Right. Because that guiding voice, that vision isn't there. And I think ultimately what faith-based filmmaking needs to needs to become is that guiding voice not worrying about what the general audience is going to think if it steps up and says, you know, uh, yes, this is something they face. But it, that's just a part of the story. Look at the greater world. I think also part of that is that, that for some reason, I think because Christian filmmakers aren't necessarily allowed to get the message wrong because not every film gets, is going to get it right because there's so much pressure to walk the line of what it's supposed to be that that for some reason when you're in each it's it's harder to go off the reservation and get away with it than as if I'm like a, a filmmaker like Christopher Nolan or um, Cooper could make a more uh, um, morally challenging film yeah but, but I think you're never going to break out of that without that yeah without somebody stepping up and going regardless of what this box says I'm supposed to be this is what this vision is. Yeah, and I, I feel like, uh, hopefully, and I now that you mention it, I feel like I'm, I might, for myself, have done a, a disservice like thinking in terms of, oh, the only way Christian film can do well is if it takes other people into consideration. That's some of it, but I, I agree with you. I think some of it is that, like, some of the best films come from somebody just, they have a story they need to tell. Not necessarily a message they need to get across. That can be secondary, and sometimes that they lead with that, but, like, that they need to do this. And yes, they'll incorporate input from other people. They need to. But like, they have to get this across. And sometimes, uh, this is something we talk about on the podcast a lot, sometimes you'll get movies that are, ki- that are kind of imperfect. As though, I need to tell this story even if I don't totally know what it is. Uh, a movie like uh, Apocalypse Now, like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, um, where you're like, I'm not totally sure he knows what he's doing except... 
or he knows what he's trying to convey, except that he needs to convey it. And so I feel like yes, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over these, this idea of like you do need, you need to I think consider the audience a little bit, but you don't want to pander to the wider audience or the niche audience. You want to engage with them with this thing that is so engaging for you. And I think it does have to start with that central artist. Uh, so yes, I would agree with you. Well, Bob hit on something though too, and that is from a practical standpoint. Mm-hmm. You may want to have, you may have found the guy who's got the perfect vision to lead this troupe of collaborative artists together, but you're not going to make it unless you have investors who are willing to get behind it. You're not going to have high budget or qual, you know, increased uh, budget films unless you have investors who are willing to say, you know what, we, we, we want to invest in a film that it goes in this direction. And right now, uh, timidity among the faith-based investors, uh, they want the sure thing. They want the niche film because they know there's, a, there's an immediate buck on that. I hate to say it that way, but they know there's a, there's a closed market and an immediate buck. You're going to have to get some investors who are willing to go out on a limb and say, we're going to take the chance on this, and, and, and we'll look for the big payoff. Demonic horror films are... Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's a big market. That's a big market. It is. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. And and it's just the way. Even it's... Frank Peretti's in that now. Yes, it's true. What is the? There's a. There's one that uh, somebody posted on my that a listener posted on my Facebook wall. Something called the Lock In. It is like the Christian version of like paranormal activity. Oh, my <laughs> oh no! <laughs> part of me, I kind of appreciate what they're doing from a technical standpoint, but it looks so terrible. Basically, it's ter- all right. Yeah. Let's let's end with this, maybe, uh, unless somebody else has a question. Uh, it's essentially the story of if you grew up in the church, you know what a lock-in is. It's like ah, the youth group, they're all they're locked into the church and they're going to hang out and it'll be fun. Dun, dun, and then and then some kid. Brings a pornographic magazine that lets in a demon. <laughs> now I don't think there's You're any. Welcome. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody here who would think that you know that you should have a pornographic magazine at a, at a church lock-in. Right. But What's a magazine? <laughs> you know what? I don't know. <laughs> Said the man with the mini disc. <laughs> Touche. There's so many things wrong with that. Not, not the least of which, it's like this is 2014. And this kid, oh, finds a magazine because they've never heard of the internet. They don't have a phone. And it's the first time any of these people at age 14. Oh, my gosh. There's so many things wrong with me. I laughed. I cried. It became a part of me. But isn't that like the perfect genre for Christian films based on, if you think about... Kind of, yeah. They need... Um, personal voice. This would be like the perfect artistic milieu for what we've been we're, we're sort of looking for here. Is they're really easy to make, and sometimes they can be made really well if you know what you're doing and you have a clear vision. This seems like the perfect milieu for Christian films. Well, I think we should zero in on the qualifier if you know what you're doing. Uh, yeah, there, there we go. Yeah. So I think they're in Levy. I'm sorry to have made. You know, I feel bad when I make fun of Christian film, but what choice do we have? I told, I, I think I said this earlier. I really think that they should have let the catfish guys direct Heaven Is for Real. <laughs> but yeah, do any any other questions? In front row there. Uh, Doc, there's, there was something I heard you say in the hallway that I wanted you to share. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I don't know. I was I I I, I can't recollect, could you, Senator. Could you please? Uh, yeah, the three paths to a financially successful faith-based film under the current model. 
Not the model we want, but under the current model, the three storylines that you need are three paths to a successful faith-based film. You take a city girl out, of, out of, into the country, and she has a life-changing experience. You take a city boy into the country, and he has a life-changing experience. Or anything with Kirk Cameron. Those are the three. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a lot of truth in that. Well, there's also um, period missionaries with, um, with Indians. I, th- I feel like that's like one. Bollywood? Well, no, like, I'm sorry. Native American. <laughs> Christian Bollywood movie. That's, that's We need to make that. Well, there was Sunday School Musical. And that's, I think, as close as we're going to get. Didn't a friend of yours direct that one? What? I, <laughs> didn't you? I feel like you I've guys. Not, I've not heard of this. This, is, this was one of the um, Asylum films. Oh, well, I'm not. I don't know any Asylum directors. I know, uh, I know assistant directors and yeah. actors and stuff. So, yeah, it's. So well, I was going to say, well, what about the, the? What is it? This is the end. Uh, yes. yes, I mean that's that's that. Yeah, and that actually brought up some interesting, some interesting conversations. Uh, Wouldn't in you the, think it'd really go down like that if it did? <sighs> it's just me. <laughs> it could. It's it's weird because like I did an episode about this is the end, which part of me is just like, well, I'm fat. It's so. It's starting a conversation amongst non-Christians, because like, a lot of Christians that would be like, oh, a post-apocalyptic movie, they wouldn't see that film, or after like the first five minutes, they'd be like, there's too much language in this, and they'd walk away. But, like, but uh, yeah, I became fascinated by that film because I laughed hysterically at it. I thought it was very funny. But then, like, theologically, I couldn't stop myself, because they were, you know, and I feel like they were inviting it a little bit, because they, the characters are saying, hey, here's a Bible, let's open it and read and like, there's no con- there's no mention of grace. It's all like an Old Testament God, but in Revelations. And it's like, well, there's some stuff that happened in between those that maybe you could talk about, but they don't. And I and I wonder if maybe if they if they had if they had tried to be more zeroed in on that kind of thing, maybe they would have lost some of their funding with with their investors uh, or the studio or whatever. So, any other questions? So we're going to end on this is the end. I want to thank all our panelists for coming. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> That's fine. You guys have websites where people can find you? Website. Uh, I just made one, hillbillyhipsterfilms.com. Perfect. Um, Doc, where, where can we find you? Uh, you can find out about the movie at 7deadlywords.com. 7 is spelled out S-E-V-E-N, deadlywords.com. And Tyler, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, I have two websites. I have BattleshipPretension.com. That is my non-Christian uh, movie show. And then uh, MoreThanOneLesson.com is my Christian show. The most recent episode, uh, we talk about Captain Phillips. And follow him on Twitter at More Lessons. We really need to get up your, your followers count. I'm doing all right. You're doing better now. You are. Yeah. You are, you're doing really well yeah. now. So I, I guess that's it. I want to thank everyone for coming. Um, and uh, here comes Jerry. If, if anybody wants to... A- Copy of Adopted Jesus. I did bring some. Thank you. If you want to see it, it's free. Not selling them. This business model. Yeah, that sucks.